knives, machetes, saws, and shears, multi-tools, shovels, swords, axes, spears, hatchets, and tomahawks. If it cuts, snips, slices, or chops, Midway USA has it. Find great gift ideas in our huge selection of pocket knives and other everyday carry folding knives. Make a statement or create a family legacy with one of our top-of-the-line hunting knives. We've got a great selection of manual and electric sharpeners, too. For just about everything for the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Wayne Vandenberg is the owner-operator of Nyamazama Safaris that operates in Zimbabwe. And he's a pretty unique operator in that he doesn't own land. He doesn't have these big hunting concessions that have big fences around them. Rather, he works with rural development councils, RDCs, in open areas that have wildlife, humans, and cattle all interacting with one another. And a lot of his business comes from dealing with problem elephants. And so we got a bunch of videos from Wayne and his team about an elephant that was shot and how it got distributed to the community. And I wanted to have a specific conversation about that situation, what it looks like on the ground, who is it benefiting, why does it happen, all of the details, because naturally, any sort of elephant hunt is probably one of the most controversial quote-unquote hunts in the world. And Wayne is interacting with elephants and people all the time. So I wanted to have him on and have a really cool conversation about the reality So there's a reason why I started Blood Origins. And that reason is simple. Is that I wanted to convey the truth about hunting. It brings awareness to, to non-hunters that it's, it's more than just killing animals. How do I start it? Brittany. My name my is... Name. <laughs> Does my hair look okay? It's fantastic. My name is Mike Axelrod. Start again. Yeah, I hated it too. <laughs> Braxton, you said something in the car to me. You said that you were living on borrowed time. Mm. There's a perception around who hunters are, what we're supposed to be, and a, a feminist that works for a non-profit that is a hunter that has only eaten wild game for the last 20 years is likely not the thing that people think about when it comes to a hunter. Yeah, we're good. Sorry, I'm a little late. I had to go get a, a second cup of coffee. Um, it's, uh, it's, you know, what I love about this job, Wayne, is this. Is that I just got off a podcast talking about wetland restoration in Finland. Okay. For duck hunting. Yeah. And so that took my first cup of coffee. <laughs> and so my second cup of coffee is with you. And, you know, it's... I don't know you from a bar of soap. You called me when I was in the middle of Spain saying, hey, I don't know who you are, but tell me what you want. And, 
And uh, I explained a little bit on the side of the mountain, crouching behind a Land Rover. You didn't realize I was crouching behind a Land Rover to try and get out the wind. No. Explain who I was and what Blood Origins does. And, um, and then yesterday, I actually got to know you through videos that you had sent. Okay. And got to know the people that you interact with and the communities that you benefit. And I've, I find it extremely... I, I'm in a fortunate position to be able to have these conversations and to be able to showcase the good work that hunting and hunters are doing everywhere in the world. You know, you're in a specific little spot in Zimbabwe. I, I, let me ask this question, Wayne, um, before I introduce you and maybe lead you down a rabbit hole. Why do you think the stuff that I put together yesterday, why do you think we haven't shown more of that? So do, uh, that's, I do see it, maybe not as much as we should see it, but I do see some of that stuff out there. And why we don't show more of it, maybe it's because people think they might be offending people. I don't know. I mean, you know, yeah. But I do see it, you know, where people do make a point of showing what happens, you know, to elephants that are shot in communities, but maybe not enough of it. Well, you just, everyone just heard you say elephants shot in communities and were like, holy smokes, what kind of, co how, what kind of podcast conversation are we about to have? <laughs> um, Wayne Fundenberg, uh, welcome to the Blood Origins podcast. I'm truly humbled uh, to have you here. Thank you. Thank you for the, for the invite, and I uh, hope that uh, I can contribute something. Oh, 100%. Wayne, do you want to give a little bit of background to who you are, what you do, where you work? All right, so I'm born and bred Zimbabwean, probably, you know, third generation at least, maybe fourth. Um, I've been a PH since I was 19. That's the only trade that I have, official trade. Otherwise, I'm a bush mechanic and all that kind of stuff. But yeah, do what I have to do. So in my my career, I've been a, a PH. And then in 2000, or 1998, I became an operator PH. And I'm still an operator PH. And I've been doing this for a long time. I don't have any big concession. So I work basically with communities like RDCs, campfire areas, and other small areas where individual farms will be amalgamated together, whether it's for leopard or elephant. You know, I have these little places where most people don't actually want to operate because it's not, uh, how can I say it? It's, it's not something that they want to deal with. I deal with a yeah, lot yeah. of individuals, whether it's um, crawl heads, cheap, um, councils, you know, there's different backgrounds to every individual and they all have their own agendas and opinions and wants and um, demands, for a better word. Mm -hmm. So it's, 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 it is a bit of a toil working with these guys. Wayne, but, explain to people who, who may not understand what an operator is. Okay, so an operator is someone that, you know, in my, in my um, position, I have to 
negotiate and make agreements with different individuals where there might be available quota to hunt. And then I have to oversee either building a camp or having a camp renovated. And I've got staff that work for me. So I have a, a small fleet of vehicles. I've got quite a bit of staff that, you know, help me run my operation. I have a small team of guys that have been with me. Some of my guys now, my tracker, one track has been with me nearly 20 years. Just gives you an idea of, you know, our partnership. Because um, I don't do it all on my own. I have guys that work with me that make it happen. But I oversee, me and my, my wife does the admin. Fortunately, I have someone that does the paperwork. And there's quite a lot involved with regards to getting quotas and permits. And we attend quota meetings every year. We submit where we can some kind of information that our national parks require from us. Um, and an idea of populations, you know, in different areas. And we try and improve on the area by anti-poaching it, by employing locals where we can, by maintaining roads. Um, quite a few of our clients will come out and will visit schools and, and donate some something to the schools, whether it's pencils or footballs or stationery of some sort. And some guys bring out SCI bags of, you know, clothing, which all go yeah. to the communities. So, yeah, an operator, you know, we, we kind of look over all of that stuff and handle it. I mean, there's yeah. a lot involved. It's just not jumping in a vehicle and going to go shoot something. I mean, it's, there's a lot of paperwork administration involved. And, um, yeah, and, and a lot of meetings and negotiations quite often with different communities trying to get things done and hopefully to make sense to them. So when I started with some of these areas, um, I did a lot of, Problem animal control, PAC work, which they, that was required. These elephants would cause havoc in their fields and destroy their crops in, a, in, in one night and, and other damages. So I used to do a lot of elephant PAC on my own free time. And I didn't see the reason or the purpose of just shooting an elephant. Yes, the villagers got the meat and the council got the skin and the ivory, but there was nothing else. You know, the problem was solved. So I convinced the council and national parks to give us huntable quota in these areas, whereby not, the elephant didn't just die for, for, for what it was doing and, and people got meat, but there was actually a revenue generated out of that elephant, which could go a lot further in benefiting the community. So from one elephant being put on quota, now some of these areas have got three to four elephants a year. And if we're lucky enough to utilize all those elephants, that community gains that trophy fee, which can be anywhere from eight to $10,000 per animal. And that goes to the community or the council. And then they use it however they feel, whether it's in a school or a clinic or fixing a bridge or maintaining a road, that's what they do. And Wayne, the one... are you saying that, are you saying that 100% of the trophy fee for your clients goes to the communities in Zimbabwe? At times, 100% does. It just depends because because I work with a, a variety of areas. Um, some areas might want $8,000 an elephant. Some areas might want seven or 10. So if I sell a hunt, I normally sell the trophy fee at the maximum amount that I'm required to sell it for or get, you know, to pay. So okay. if I hunted, say the, say the trophy fee, the maximum is 8,000 like it is this year. And I have other elephants that I can get for seven thousand. I'll still sell it to the client for eight, 
and and make a thousand dollars to cover my fuel. But if I have to shoot it in an area where it's ten or I mean eight, then hundred percent goes to that area. Makes sense. Yeah, makes sense. Uh, Wayne, what what would you say to someone who is hearing you? And we have a lot of non-hunters that listen to this podcast and. Because this is an, an, a podcast around elephants, I'm sure we'll have a bunch of anti-hunters that listen to us too. Um, what would you say? What would you say to them when they say, "Well, geez, you know, when you're just you're killing off all the elephants, three, four, five, six elephants a year, you, you're just decimating the population." No, uh, very far from that. Um, the elephant population, uh, its general knowledge and should be common knowledge, has increased. Uh, dramatically since the late 80s because we used to cull elephants here when we didn't have as many people on the ground and we and we recognized back then that the elephant population was too too many for this country and in in a nutshell elephants you know are not doing themselves a favor by overpopulating they eating and destroying a lot of habitat which you know um, they would otherwise benefit from so and a lot of other animals are affected by this, you know, so where you get a big amount of elephants or a large amount and they destroy that ecosystem in that area, you affect not only the elephants themselves, but other small animals that depend on some of the, the, the habitat that's, that was there that the elephants may, may have taken care of. As far as like bushbucks and your small dikers and, you know, maybe even birds in that area, depending on what trees are pushed over and how much of the food that's been, you know, taken by the elephants. So, you know, you've got to balance that ecosystem. Otherwise, too many is just not good. Um, it's a proven <laughs> fact if you go to Botswana. Just have a look at Botswana and see the devastation there. I mean, it's just it's, it's, it's horrific, the amount of when, devastation. The, the area that you've been working in with these, you called them RDCs. What does RDC stand for? Rural District Council. Rural District Council. You've been working in the same rural district councils for quite some time? Uh, 15 plus years, yeah. Have you in those 15 plus years, let me, I'll ask a series of questions. Have you seen an increase in elephant numbers in those areas? Uh, yes, definitely. Every, every year it's increasing. I mean, every year there is reports of uh, human and wildlife conflict. And quite often it's elephants that are, uh, you know, unfortunately the, the, the problem behind this where Someone is coming to into contact with an elephant. We, you know, from these fields, walking between villages at night, or you know, a rampant elephant that's maybe carrying a snare or a bullet hole from somewhere else. But yeah, people get killed every year by elephant. Wayne, have you in the fifteen years, and and maybe maybe just think of an area, one specific RDC, or you could think of them. Uh, you know, cumulatively, have you seen changes in the habitat because of the changes in the elephant population? I would say that in these areas, they've increased in their livestock population, cattle and donkeys and goats and people. So those communities have grown. So the elephants, they, they, their natural habitat has shrunk. So there will be a bit of a overlap of where they can move, especially during the wet season and the cropping season when elephants mm -hmm. are moving out. So they come and go periodically in these areas. They're not there all the time. They, they're migratory, for a better word. But um, 
they come in droves, you know, depending on the season. If, if it's a good rainy season and there's a lot of crops and a lot of water everywhere, your elephant numbers will increase, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Wayne, are, are you seeing... Are you seeing places in within these RDCs that over the fifteen the course of fifteen years, twenty years, the chiefs, the council leaders, are certain areas saying, wow, we see the benefit of hunting and are valuing the wildlife more, i.e. there's more wildlife on the landscape because they see more revenue, or do you, they just don't care or but what's the situation? For the, for the most part, some people, um, well, when I say some people, they do understand the, the revenue benefit. And those that are educated and have gone to school, because the RDCs, you know, they, they're quite um, complex. They don't just, <laughs> you know, manage wildlife. They do roads, clinics, schools, uh, land taxes and everything like that, development in the area. I mean, specifically like Pusili, you know, there's even a university in the area. It's quite a big area. But as far as the people benefiting from the animals, um, it's a small percentage, but it's an important percentage because they are taught that the animals have a value and, you know, and they need to be uh, respected for that purpose. And there are anti-poaching, you know, programs, and there is an awareness on that as far as poachers uh, you know, they're not tolerated and there are penalties for poaching. And if any animals are a problem, they do report it. And, and they hope for guys like myself on the ground to go and attend to it, whether it's an elephant, a lion, a hyena, a hippo, a crocodile, you know, or even a leopard at times. These things always happen. There's always an interaction somewhere in these communities. But I know from speaking to some villagers, you know, they, they, the cattle are prize compared to an elephant. They would yeah. rather no elephants be there or no lions be there if they had that choice. But they are, they are tolerated because the revenue is derived from those animals when hunted with a foreign client, and they know that the benefits will help them ultimately, whether it's compensation for their crops or for their livestock that was eaten, or their children might get a, you know, another classroom or something like that. They do understand that point. But... For most of those peasant villages, if for a better word, they would rather not have any animals as far as wild animals concerned because, you know, they just feel that they are a nuisance to them, you know, in their, yeah. in their daily day of, you know, survival there. Wayne, I know this is a laughable question, but I have to ask it. Yeah. I'm assuming you're not hearing any sentiment out of these rural villages about we don't like hunting. Um, no, none of them will say that. They obviously all like the benefits of hunting. Um, they do get all the protein from an elephant, like 90 plus percent. The villagers, you know, wherever the elephant is taken, if you're within 10 kilometers or more, um, bush telegraph, whether it's, it used to be drums, it's now a cell phone, they will come with buckets and bags, and they will all participate in, in getting a piece of meat for their home. So it's totally 100% utilized. There isn't any waste. Not, not even a, a bone is left behind. They, they utilize everything. You know, it's funny, and I just wrote it down because it's one of the things that I, I'm keen on 
getting inf- uh, getting uh, from you and others. This idea of nothing being left. How do we prove that, Wayne? That I know how to gets, prove it. That everything gets used. Mm. Oh. Well, I've taken, I've sent you some video footage of it, but I don't hang around there for four days, you know, to see them utilizing it. But trust me, when you visit some of the villages a day or two afterwards, you see they strip the meat into strips and then they sun dry it so that mm-hmm. they can, you know, store it because they don't have freezer facilities. So they mm-hmm. sun dry it into what we call biltong, jerky, dry meat, and then they can, you know, um, use it over a period of several months. Yeah. Wayne, it's, you obviously oper- you operate in a very different, unique um, environment than your typical, I wouldn't say typical, but the, 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 probably the more uh, well-known hunting um, method, which is like this bastion protectionist type method, right? You put a big fence around a property, you patrol the property, you hunt inside the property. Right. You certainly are not hunting in that world, right? Yeah, no, there's no fences. It's all open free range. It's all open free range. There's no fences at all. Yeah. And and you pretty much, there, there's an interaction between wildlife, cattle, and people, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, they do. Are you, are you seeing that that is possible? And, and that's probably, again, a stupid question. I'm sorry, because it's obviously possible because you live it and you, you deal with it and you have clients come in every single day. No, it is. I mean, the people do interact with the animals. I mean, when they're herding their cattle, you know, into the field, they go and collect their cattle every evening. Um, and they're aware of where the elephants may be. They keep their distance. They don't want to, you know, necessarily make contact with the elephants. And the elephants, vice versa, they hear the bells and they hear the people talking and the guys cracking their whips. So they've learned to coexist, you know, but maybe not all together in one spot, but they do give each other, you know, a margin of space. And, and definitely you, you do see it. Wayne, do you think it's the future of wildlife conservation in Africa, given what you've seen over the last 15 years, population growth, obviously investment in cattle? Yeah. It, that's a tough one. I, I don't see a bright future, you know, if, if the population growth of humans continue on the mm-hmm. increase. Because um, these animals are getting smaller and smaller, you know, as far as the, the ranges go. You know, they're forced to move in between. I mean, some elephants will migrate one or 200 kilometers, um, you know, at a time. You know, when I say that, they may go from one area and down to another area and be there for a month or two and then back. And it's been recorded on, on some that they've managed to collar. I mean, overnight they can go a hundred kilometers. I mean, it's just, wow. yeah, it can be that good. Some, some will stick around, but some have, a, who knows, for whatever reason, they have an agenda to go somewhere and do something. So you just, just population pressure on the resource is probably Africa's biggest, um, biggest fight essentially to save wildlife right well you know there is there's certain areas that in this country specific where game ranches were 
taken away during the 2000 period where land acquisition took place, where you had a game ranch and now it became a cattle block and it's and there's several communities on there. So and and this is some of the areas that I have to deal with, where an old existing property is now a community where you have. Mm -hmm. You know, maybe a hundred households or more. You've got several schools on there, um, and then all, everybody's got goats or donkeys or cattle, and they do cropping. Um, and then you know that just the animals that used to be there, whether it was impala or kudu or buffalo, they've since moved because yeah. you know, either they've been poached or they've just moved because they had to move. So yeah, it, it's just that we can't control that. You know, we can't turn it back to a game ranch because where are the people going to go? Yeah. Yeah. So these areas, yeah, so these areas that used to have maybe a variety of animals are left with basically elephant. Some areas never had elephant before. Now there's elephant and, and, and predators, whether it's hyenas or leopards or lions. Because the natural prey is no longer there. So you have that conflict. Lions, hyenas killing domestic stock. Because there's no yeah. other prey available. So, you know, that, that, that's the battle that we face. Are the predators, uh, are they, do they move around a lot too? Or are they sedentary? Like, are they like elephants? They move around and... They move around. They do. They move around. Yeah. They'll, they'll stick around in an area for a couple of weeks, maybe a month or so, and then depending on, you know, if they get harassed or, or maybe, you know, if someone comes and shoots one of them, they will, they'll move over to the next community and they'll just, you know, carry on until either they're <laughs> recaptured and uh, re relocated or, or the council or the appropriate authority, you know, they've done something about them and eradicated them. Well, let's talk about that then. Let's talk about recapture sort of, you know, finding them, putting a dart in them, putting them to sleep and relocating them. Why can't you do the same thing for problem elephants, Wayne? It, it's cost. At the end of the day, somebody has to finance that. Somebody has to pay a vet. Somebody has to have the equipment and the, and the means to do that. I mean, there is a program that's taking place or had taken place. I don't know if it's still continuing. It might be in the Savi Valley where they were capturing live elephants and moving them to another area in the in the, in in the, that that in the Zambezi Valley, um, it's a very costly experience. Um, you know, you got helicopters involved, you got eighteen-wheeler trucks involved, you got bulldozers pushing you know trees down to get into where the elephant falls when it's darted. You got several vets on the ground and volunteers. It is a big, big project. It doesn't you know, and and somebody has to pay for it. At the end of the day, it's cost. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's cost and timing, I would think, right? Because I would assume you get, um, you probably get contacted by the village. Talk us through that. Maybe that's an, a, a good way to sort of give us the, the, the reality on the ground. H how do you go about dealing with a problem elephant in terms of, and the timing associated with it? Are you called tomorrow? Like you get a call today. Do you have a client lined up in two months' time to deal with that problem elephant? How does that work? No. So the problem elephant, I deal with myself. It's not legal to take a client in to do a, a PAC. So when I'm available and it, and it comes to my attention that there is a problem elephant to be taken care of, I will deal with it myself 
or I'll take someone in the industry, whether he's a, a learner hunter or a learner guide for experience, and I'll have them come and help me and assist me and get some kind of experience for the um, examination. <laughs> and what happens is PAC is conducted primarily in, in crops that have been affected, raided by elephants. So there could be one or 20 elephants at a time in those crops. And it's not an every night situation, but sometimes it can be. So you might spend three days waiting for the elephants to return to that crop. But we take care of that elephant in the crop so that, you know, the other elephant around him will get the message, so to speak. And then they leave mm -hmm. that part of the, you know, that, that area for some months or maybe the rest of the year. They don't come back there. They may move to another area. But generally speaking, it does work. It does help. I mean, there's, there's guys there that, you know, that will say pepper spray them or shoot them with pepper bullets or, you know, bear bangers or, you know, all those kind of ideas. Um, but it doesn't really work at the end of the day. And, the, and, the, yeah. and these places that have got these crops, they've got um, barriers around their fields made out of thorns and brush. They don't have the means to put a big, strong electric cable and fence and spotlights like a commercial farmer would might and, and have to do. In these areas, these people live off the land, so they do the best <laughs> they can with, with brush at their disposal to make a barrier. An elephant just walks through that brush. <laughs> they build Wait, fires. In the, yeah. In the video, though, it sounded like it was a problem elephant that you took, and was it just fortuitous that you had a client in camp yeah, to so, be able to take that elephant? Yeah, so in that regard, I didn't shoot that elephant in the crop. Um, this particular property was getting affected by elephants raiding. So we went and visited the crop. We found where the crops were being damaged. We picked up their tracks from there, and we followed these three individual elephants. And they'd been coming there for like five days in a row, been raiding and mm. destroying these crops. And then I had a client that was paying for a trophy bull. Uh, you know, which comes off a quota for that particular property. So we tracked it in the daytime, found where they were hiding up, and, and we took care of the one elephant. And the other two left the area the next day. They weren't, you know, to, to, to this day, I haven't had a report of elephants raiding those crops. So that was a good thing. Villagers are happy. Um, the client is happy. And, you know, the animal, you know, was paid for. Revenue was generated from it, and they're going to use it. It, I, you know, I think people just have a, they just don't have an idea when it comes to the reality on the ground. You know, people, again, even though we've explained it earlier in the podcast, people are, are hearing you say, well, you know, I had a client come in, kill an elephant. Uh, I also deal with problem elephants in villages. They're like, man, this guy must, you know, must be dozens of elephants that are, are taken care of in these areas. Man, this is an endangered species, Wayne. Like, we should be thinking more and more and more about the population, but the population is growing by, you know, four or five times in terms of its growth rate a year to the amount of elephants being taken through problem control and through hunting. Yeah, look, I mean... I don't know what the, the actual figure is, but there's talk that it's between 80 and 140,000 elephants in the country. So, and some of these elephants are obviously migratory from Botswana to Zimbabwe. 
But I mean, even if you had to round it off to a hundred thousand, that's probably sixty thousand more than the carrying capacity that this country, you know, should have. Um, our our offtake. When I say offtake, our hunted hunted quota for the for the whole country is five hundred. Wow. So I don't even think we shoot five hundred um, every year, to be honest with you. But that's do you that's shoot the, all of your quota every year? No, I don't. Have you ever had a year where you've shot all your quota? Mm, very close, but not every year. So five hundred elephants of a hundred thousand is point zero five percent. Oh, there you go. Of the population, and I think best guess ecologists and biologists say that elephants grow at about seven percent a year. Well, I'm just saying, you know, we're just rounding off because we don't know the exact figure. Oh yeah, even even if you did half, like if someone said fifty thousand elephants are in Zimbabwe, so let's do that: five hundred divided by fifty. 500 divided by 50,000. That's 0.1%. Yeah. So then you could probably, you know, I don't know how many other elephants are taken as problem animal, but it's not near that many. Um, and then there are elephants that are taken for management purposes in the different, um, you know, like national parks, for, in for instance, and maybe forestry, where they have a big number of people that work for those different um, government departments. So they do harvest elephant as as a means to feed their, their people. And so I don't know what the number is that they take every year, but yeah, elephants are important to them because it's a way of, um, you know, protein resource that they, you know, they get out of them. Isn't that a better way to look at elephants? I know it's so difficult to sort of wrap your mind around it. But, you know, being the, the mega charismatic, the charismatic megafauna that an elephant is and Dumbo and Disney and all that kind of stuff. But at the end of the day, people need food. People need protein. And yeah. primarily that protein source has come from cattle. Yeah. Okay, beef. But elephants are, there's a lot of them. They could be sustainably taken. and the the harvest, not the right term, but the amount of meat that comes off an animal in comparison to a cattle, a cow, a cattle, <laughs> a cow, it's too early in the morning, a cow. Yeah. There's something to be said there. No, it is definitely, um, you know, so, I mean, it's been going on ever since I know, you know, that elephants have been utilized in these departments for a protein, you know, uh, resource. So it does happen, uh, but you can't farm elephants like cattle for obvious reasons. Obviously. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a, it's an interesting scenario, man. And um, it, obviously it's, it, it, you know, it's difficult to put yourselves in the shoes of those people that live on the ground. I tell you what, it's not an easy life. Um, you know, these people that live in these communities, they, for a better word, they're very poor for the most part. You know, some of them may have jobs in, in, in the urban centers and maybe even in South Africa, but they send money home. But those that live on the ground there, the children that go to school there, 
you know, they they live from hand to mouth. That is that is yeah. that is the fact. I mean, everything that they grow there, they utilize themselves or they barter with it. They have a, a marginal amount of livestock for themselves, chickens, goats, cattle. Um, I mean, they live in mud huts with, you know, straw roofs for the most part. So, you know, it's they haven't, you know, they've got no luxury, so to speak. And, yeah, mm -hmm. look, I mean, mm -hmm. it's not an easy life. And then they still got to tolerate and deal with wild animals you know, on their doorstep, which they do to the best of their knowledge and, and, and their ability. But, um, yeah, it's just, that's the way of life. It's Africa. Wayne, you've been working in these RDCs for 15 years, 20 years. Is there anybody else, and when I say anybody else, any other organizations that are in these RDCs providing Let's specifically ask employment opportunities. Um, look, I know that mines in the area, in some parts, there are mines which will employ some of the, you know, the men or maybe even some women to work for them. But then they have to travel distances between and, and, and in between. Um, there may be at times certain projects, whether it's building of a school or a clinic, you know, where builders and and maybe experienced craftsmen might be involved. There are some natural, I mean, uh, not natural, there are some NGOs, non-government organizations, but they don't actually employ people, so to speak. They may, they may have a project that they, they do, you know, through funding from wherever they've come from, whether it's America, Canada, or New Zealand. Um, they may put a school together or a clinic or, or, or something like that. They might do that. So you have seen some non-governmental organizations that may be, you know, anti-hunters most often, um, Christian organizations in these areas investing in, I, I, in I them. Know, I wouldn't really know if they're anti-hunters. Um, I think that the ones that I know about that have come across, they, they understand hunting and some of them even have hunted um, themselves, you know, back home or even have the opportunity to do some hunting you know, in the country, maybe not in that particular area, but they may, you know, take a week and go somewhere and, and do it. So, you know, but I can't talk for everybody. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, it, it's not what I'm, maybe I should have couched it a little bit differently. You're not seeing the, you're not seeing the Peters of the world, the humane societies of the world, the WWFs of the world. No. And WWF is actually pro hunting. Um, WCS yeah. of the world in these areas with you, right? More often than not, it's probably Christian-based NGOs coming in and helping people. Yes. Yeah. 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 That that is more than yeah than than you don't see protesters put it that way of you know anti-hunting background. Well, not protesters, but just people saying, "Hey, I'm just saying it." You don't. I don't think I've ever heard and, you know, getting confirmation from the ground from you of the RDCs that you're working in, these organizations that have, quote unquote, you know, are against hunting, are against the practice, are against the things that it does, coming into these communities to, quote unquote, replace the value that hunting's bringing to these communities. No, sure. That we we don't hear of it at all. It's not part of their vocabulary. They they 
they never mention the anti-hunting. Um, I've never heard of it in any of these RDCs at all, that they want to stop hunting. They want to educate people about the value of animals and, you know, the whole purpose of if it's got a value, then, you know, we tend to look after it. And that's that's the concept that we try and teach the people there, that, you know, if it pays, it stays in a nutshell. <laughs> mm-hmm. But you've never seen a humane society. I guess what I'm trying to get at is it, there, there's, a big, they, they, there's a big talk across the world from these organizations about we don't like hunting, yet we do not see them step up in the areas that you work in and come in and say, we're going to supplement employment or we're going to provide jobs, we're going to provide schools, we're going to provide clinics. Well, yeah, they, we haven't seen anybody raise their hand and say, we will compensate you for the loss of your crops or your livestock and, um, you know, cover all your needs what hunting would have otherwise have covered, we haven't had anybody volunteer for that or any organization volunteer for that in these particular communities. They may mm-hmm. do it in smaller areas, you know, in a national park or something like that. But where these communities are benefiting from hunting, there hasn't been any anti-hunting organization that's come there and said, um, you know, we're going to, you know, take care of your clinic schools, whatever the case might be. and and, and create employment where we need to, uh, or match what the hunters are doing mm-hmm. as far as benefiting the area. I haven't seen mm-hmm. it in these areas yet. And you've been in these areas for how long again? Yeah, 15 years. 15 years, 20 years. Well, Wayne, um, I very much appreciate you jumping on. Um, I know you're a very busy man. You Have you started hunting already? I I have. Um I started in the beginning of March, and I will continue right through until the end of November. Ah, amazing. It's, uh, it's good to see you guys back hunting and busy and, um, and, and back stuck in the midst of obviously, you know, doing what you love, helping these people, helping communities, and obviously, you know, having a thriving business from it. Um, so I appreciate the time that you spent with me. Um, Thank you for allowing me to, well, number one, thank you for, I don't even know if you knew that Lance sent me all those videos. (laughs) And then two, allowing me to to help you put it together. Um, I just want to say thank you, Wayne. I I know that I am um, someone who came out of nowhere, um, got to know you via videos that I don't even know if if you knew that Lance had sent me the videos or not. And, uh, yeah, I appreciate you saying yes. No, look, I appreciate it. And, and I mean, uh, you know, I just do what I can. I mean, I, I do it because I need to do it for a living, but I also do it, you know, because I understand what's required. I'd rather see it done correctly than people doing it incorrectly as far as just, you know, just shooting these animals for no reward at all. Um, mm-hmm. Just because, you know, it's it's a problem animal or considered one. Um, for years, I've been telling people that you know these animals have a value, and we mustn't just shoot them. Doesn't matter if it's an elephant or a baboon or a 
we can't just kill animals for nothing. I know sometimes it needs to be done, but if we can make that animal's, you know, if we're going to take that animal's life, at least let it try and benefit the area or even its own species, you know, by by dying, you know, whether it's we create a job for an anti-poacher in the area or we, we do something in the area that benefits not just the people but also the animals themselves. Um, and, and, and that's what, you know, everybody tries to do in their own capacity. I mean, I'm just a very small fish in this whole industry, but I do what I can. And, and uh, I don't, you know, I'm not a, a very, um, how can I say, it? my pricing for these hunts is very, very marginal. So um, even though I'm busy, there's a reason for it. People want to come out there and experience what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. Well, hopefully one day I get to shake your hand in person. Um, I'm certainly very, I love the, I love the place that you operate in. I love the interaction with all the people. And most importantly, I love the reality of the situation. Well, you're um, welcome. So, you're welcome. If you come and you're in town, let us know. Yeah, we'll do it. Um, if there's anything, Wayne, if there's anything I can do for you and Blood Origins can do for you, um, please don't hesitate to reach out. That's what we were built for. We were built, as I told you, on the side of the Spanish mountain. I built this to tell the truth of who we are and what we do. So if there's anything I can do, please let me know. Thank you very much. I, I will definitely um, take that opportunity if it comes and let you know. Thanks, Wayne. Thanks very much. Well, that's it for today. I appreciate you listening, as always. Leave a review, share it with your friends, and most importantly, do what's right to convey the truth around hunting. In Wild Country, rules were not created by man. Don't miss Wild Country, Wednesdays from 7 to 11 p.m. Eastern. Presented by Primos. Speak the language. Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment. Don't miss Thursdays with Saltwater Experience. Brought to you by Golden Boat Lifts. Every Thursday night from 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV. The destination for outdoor entertainment.